0: In the book of Genesis. We've been in the book of Genesis for a little while. We're going to be in the book of Genesis for a little while. Um, this morning, we're going to take a look at the end of the sixth day, the pinnacle of the creation story, the creation of humanity. Um, we're not going to get very far today. We're going to spend about three weeks in uh, this section. We're going to talk about the image of God this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about gender, uh, if life wasn't complicated enough. And after that, we're going to talk about the creation mandate, what the image of God means and how we're supposed to live our lives. So as always, through this series, uh, we want to interact with the text a little bit together. I do a lot of the talking on Sunday mornings, but if you have questions, and I, I know we're all introverts here, so you don't like to ask questions, you can text a question anonymously to that number, and we'll work through some of them if they come in at the end. Um... First of all, we're going to do a little bit of a, a textual thing that stands out, and then we're going to get into the image. So verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. And the very first question that comes up here is, who is God talking to? Who is us? Uh, some people would say that this is a plural of majesty, so this is like when you're watching one of those period pieces on PBS and the queen says, we would like a spot of tea. That's the, that's the uh, plural of majesty because she's the queen and she's special. And so she uses the word we to say that she is better than everyone else. The problem with this is that most scholars think that Hebrew doesn't work that way. The ancient uh, language that the book of Genesis was written in doesn't really have that as a feature. So that's out. Throughout Christian history, all the way back to the second century, Christians have said that, well, obviously this is the Trinity, right? As as Christians, we believe that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. So God is talking to himself here. And that's a fine understanding of this text. And if that's where you land, that's fine. But it's hard to figure out how Moses would have been saying that and how his audience would have heard that. Maybe God, the divine author behind the text, put that in there because God knows that he's a trinity, but the ancient Israelites didn't really understand God as a trinity at at this time, and so it's a little bit odd to think that this is about the trinity. The third option, which I think is the most likely, is that God is talking to what uh, we would call his divine counsel. And some of you are familiar with this term. Others of you, maybe it's brand new. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see that Yahweh, the God of Israel, He rules from what we would call the heavens with a court of heavenly servants. We call them angels, uh, spiritual beings. In Psalm 89, we read, "'Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord?' Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? And so we see the psalmist praising Yahweh as the greatest God, the greatest being, but recognizing that there's all these other spiritual beings that are hanging out around him. We see these, these uh, angels or beings, whatever you want to call them, involved in God's plan. In 1 Kings, we read, Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the whole heavenly army was standing by him at his right hand and at his left hand. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one was saying this and the other was saying that. Then a spirit came forward, stood in the Lord's presence and said, I will entice him. The Lord asked, how? He said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you will certainly entice him and will prevail. Go and do that. So in this scene, the prophet Micaiah sees the heavenly council and God, Yahweh is there and he says, I'm tired of Ahab. Ahab is a wicked king. His days are numbered. How are we going to get rid of him? And then he just takes suggestions. And you see these other, these other spiritual beings come up and say, like, well, what about this? And somebody else says, what about that? And finally, one says, I'll go and I'll tell all the prophets that he surrounds himself with a lie and entice him to go into battle and be killed. And God says, yeah, that's a good plan. That'll work. What a weird story. But that's the reality of what we see painted for us in the Old Testament, so I think if Moses is writing this to the people of Israel, they're most likely thinking in Genesis 26, God is talking to his heavenly counsel. Now, we know from other passages in Scripture that, that God did not involve the angels in creation. They were spectators. But, but that's not our problem. If, if we're uh, at my house, my family, and we don't know what to get for dinner, and I say, let's order pizza... I'm I'm ordering the pizza, right? Like, my kids are not ordering the pizza. The kids are not paying for the pizza. They're benefiting from the pizza. But I'm including them in the process. And I think that's what God is doing here. Let's, Let's make something awesome in our image. The implication here is that the angels are also made in the image of God. They have a role. They're representatives of the heavenly realm. They work on his behalf. Maybe you've never thought about that, but... I think that's the best way to understand this kind of weird part of the text. So, big question today, what is the image of God? As we've been working through Genesis, we've said over and over and over again, we have to understand what the ancient world would have believed about these things. And we know a lot about the image of God from the ancient world. First of all, the the image of God is an issue of correspondence. It's of being like something. The word image here is the same word as you would uh, use in other places that gets translated idol. An image is an idol. It has an important connection to the God that it represents. John Walton says, an idol was used in worship because it contained the deity's essence, This does not suggest that the image could do what the deity did, or that it looked the same as the deity, even though the idol was a physical object. Rather, the deity's work was thought to be accomplished through the idol. The idol, the little wooden statue that the Baal worshiper sets up in his house, it's not the God, but something about the God is present, they believe, and represented in the idol. And so when when Moses says, Human beings are the image of God. Be thinking about that. We are not God, but something about God is present in us and represented through us. It also speaks of importance. We find a lot of ancient texts from Babylon and Egypt that talk about the image of God. And almost invariably, the person that is the image of God is the king. The king is made in the image of God, and he is the representative on earth of of the divine. And everybody else is a slave of the king but the book of Genesis comes along and says no 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 it's not just the king that's the image of God it's everybody every human being on earth is made in God's image we are all important it also speaks of authority Babylonian kings Assyrian kings they would conquer great swaths of territory and they would set up statues of themselves And then they'd leave and go conquer someone else. And and the statue had an important role to play. It had a significance that said, I'm not here, but my image is as a reminder that I am in charge in this place. I rule over this realm. And so by Yahweh saying men and women are made in the image of God, he's saying this whole planet, this whole universe is mine, and my image is here to represent me authority, importance, correspondence. You may have heard that the image of God is a series of properties that we possess. We possess intellect and emotions and free will and creativity. But this isn't how the text explains the image of God. Remember, we've, we've talked about how the creation account in Genesis 1 is concerned with function, Moses is not asking the question, where did all this stuff come from? He's asking the question, what is all this stuff for? And it's the same with humanity. Let us make man, verse 26, in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. The image of God is a function, it's not an attribute we possess. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Mike Heiser writes, we are created to image God, to be his imagers. It is what we are by definition. The image is not an ability we have, but a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. So human beings, we have special importance over all the other creatures. We've been given authority to represent God, the true king of the universe. And God is doing his work of ruling the world through us. See, at this point in the story, humans are given the job that God has had to this point. Bringing life and order out of the chaos. All through the six days, God is cultivating, God is creating, God is shaping. And He says, Now I'm going to turn that over to you guys. Because, see, the world at this point is good, but it's not perfect. I think we think this sometimes that, that, the, that the world was perfect in the beginning, but it's not as good as it could be. We're going to see in chapter two Adam and Eve are going to be put in a garden and told to cultivate it. It could be better. And God wants us to make it better. Humanity has been called to take what God has given us and improve it. So, that's what the image of God is. What are the implications of the image of God? The first thing is that human beings are more valuable than anything else in God's earthly creation. This is what needs to be at the top of our hearts and minds when we view other people. The image of God in every human ensures that there is something praiseworthy and good to be found in everyone. And as Christians, we should be eager to find it. Sometimes it takes a while. You know people right now, you're thinking, I'm not sure if there's anything good in that person. But I dare you to find it. Study them. Figure out what about the image of God makes them beautiful. The Marxists, the atheists, the liberals, the capitalists, the conservatives, the nationalists. Everyone is made in the image of God. And it's easy to sit in church and nod and say, yeah, I believe that truth. But how do I talk about people I don't like? Do I assume the best Or the worst in my interactions with those that I disagree with. (laughs) The image of God shapes our understanding of issues in society. We're going to talk about a few. Let's talk about one. We can talk about abortion. That's not a sensitive topic at all. There were over 1,200 abortions in in Idaho in 2018. That's the the best date we have We think there were over 600,000 in the U.S., but some states don't report, so we don't know. And that number's on the rise from previous years. See, because of the image of God in humanity, we understand that abortion is a grotesque abuse of human life. This is an image of God issue because we believe that an unborn child has inherent value simply because they exist. See, now, if we believe that something about humanity made us the image of God, some kind of intellect or creativity or self-awareness, that's, that's one of the arguments of the pro-choice side of this issue, that, that the, the fetus is a potential human. Someday it will be born, and then it will be worth protecting, but that's not what a Christian worldview tells us. It says that, no, that human being is a valuable person simply because they exist, not because of what it's possible that they could do in the future. There's an ethicist, a pretty famous ethicist named Peter Singer. He believes that you decide what a person is based on their capacity. What can they do? He would argue that some of the animal kingdom qualify as persons and some humans don't. He's argued that abortion should be legal and parents should be able to commit infanticide up to three years. And you look at that, you go, well, that's crazy. But if we measure the value of people based on what they contribute or what they can do, then that's kind of where you go. But the Bible says, no, 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 you are valuable just because you exist, because you are a human. But you know who else is a human? The mothers and the fathers of children that have been aborted. These are also image bearers loved by God. And that's one of the reasons I love supporting open arms. Like we just had our, the baby bottle boomerang where everybody brought in their loose change. And we support open arms financially every month. And they work with women in crisis pregnancies. They work with the dads of women, or the, the fathers of, of, of children um, that are, that are Uh, the, the, the moms are considering abortion or adoption. They work with men and women after abortion, and they love and they care and they show the grace of Jesus in those situations because those men and women are also made in the image of God. We could talk about slavery. Right now, it's estimated that there's 40 million people around the world that are enslaved. 71% Seventy-one percent of them are women and girls. Trafficking, forced labor, debt bondage. I read a story this week of a woman who got out of the, uh, uh, an Eastern country, an Eastern Asian country, and she was promised by those that freed her a new life in America. And she got to California and she got a job in a large estate, and they said, "Oh." We can't pay you until you've worked off the debt that you earned traveling here. And so she worked for two years to pay off the debt that she had earned from her travel. And during those two years, she accidentally broke a vase. And they said, oh, we got to add two more years of no pay to pay for that vase. Bondage. Chattel slavery, which is what we're familiar with in the United States, where whole classes of people are considered less than human and their offspring are considered slaves simply because they are of a different culture. That still happens around the world today. Forced military service, especially of children, forced marriage of young girls. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in the 2020 Trafficking in Persons Report says, Every person everywhere is inherently vested with profound, inerrant, equal dignity. America was founded on a promise to defend those rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice. But too often we've fallen short, and we cannot fall short on this challenge. Slavery is an image of God issue because people are not objects to be used. What about ethnic sin? Ed Yuzinski, who is a doctor of American studies and a Christian, says you can find black intellectuals and black artists who are crying out ever since the Civil War to just be able to be a man. Ethnic sin is an image of God issue. Men and women crying out, I just want to be treated like a human being. And this is a big cultural issue right now, right? The last couple years have blown this up in our society, in the church, and we are freaking out about it, largely. We are a a largely uh, white evangelical church. And here's what I want to say about that this morning. everybody's, Everybody's upset about critical race theory. And if 95% of the way that critical race theory is applied to this problem is foolish and maybe wicked, administered by the powers of darkness, and I would say a lot of that is true. That does not mean there's not a problem with ethnic sin. Imagine living in a city full of potholes. If you're from Spokane, you don't have to imagine that. And the city comes out and says, we've got a solution, we're gonna ban driving. No more driving, no more problem. And to go against that foolishness, we all go, no, no, we demand to be able to drive because there's no such thing as potholes. We've just decided it's not a real problem. That's equally as foolish. If the solution that's posed to the problem is dumb, that doesn't mean you deny that there's a problem. It means you find a better solution. The abolitionist movement of the 1800s, the civil rights movement of the 1900s, these were Christian movements. These were founded and fueled by the image of God. And when we in the church, when we step away from fighting for the oppressed because they are made in the image of God, we should not be surprised when things that go against the teaching of scripture step into the gap. Ethnic sin was built into the legal structures of our country for centuries, and we've only been working on it for decades. And I think we've come a long way, but there's still more work to do. So I know these things are are hard to grapple with, abortion and slavery and and ethnic unity and sin, and and these problems, they can feel really far away. What What do we do about them? We can can care about them. We can pray about them. We can support people that are called to those specific works. But we cannot ignore these things. Because the image of God in these people that are oppressed, that are marginalized, that are abused, that are vulnerable, cries out in our midst. This morning, we could talk about poverty, poverty. We can talk about the plight of immigrants and refugees. We can talk about access to health care, the prison system, you name it. If we are not starting with, these are people made in the image of God and they deserve honor and respect and dignity, then we're not looking at this biblically. We can talk about our rights. We can talk about logistics of the problem. We can talk about economic factors. And these discussions can be helpful, they might might need to be had, but they are not the most important thing. Behind every issue of injustice in our day is a person. And this is the foundation of a Christian view of humanity. And it's also what Western civilization was built on. Right, since, I mean, it's the 4th of July, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I get really moody and self-reflective on my birthday. My wife will tell you I'm a real pain to hang out with. So it's our country's birthday, so let's get (laughs) self-reflective. 245 years ago, our country got started very far from this ideal. We've come a long way since then. We've inspired nations around the world to adopt the image of God as a primary value. Now, nobody talks about it that way because it's religious. But inherent human dignity stems from the image of God in Scripture. And nation after nation after nation has used the example of the United States as a model to run their country. But we still have work to do. As Christians living in this country, we need to be lifting up, pointing out, reminding one another of the image of God in every person. As we look back on our nation's history, we don't always follow through on this ideal, but it is important That it is the ideal. Remember, Israel's ancient neighbors didn't share this ideal. And we are insulated from how profound this is because we live in the country that we do. But imagine being a young child in Egypt and learning the reason for your existence is because the king is made in the image of God and you were made to serve him. Or think about being a Babylonian child, learning that the reason for your existence is that gods were tired of working and they hated manual labor. So they invented humanity to do hard stuff for them. All you are is a cog in the machine. All you are is a slave to the deities. And then Israel comes along and goes, no, no, that's not what it's like at all. You're all beautiful, lovely, amazing people made in God's image with a purpose. That's a radically different view of humanity. But it's not just big geopolitical issues that we mess up when we lose sight of the image of God. I greatly dishonor fellow image bearers when I lust after them and view them as objects for my pleasure. I devalue an image bearer when I'm angry because they're moving too slowly at the checkout line. I was at Home Depot the other day, and this lady was buying two packets of seeds, and they wouldn't ring up. And the kid was like new or something, and he kept shooting his gun at it, and nothing happened, and he was freaking out, and he called for backup, and nobody came, and it took like 20 minutes, and and they finally decided, we're just going to give you the seeds. And I could feel it in my heart like come on you guys I got to get I got stuff to do it comes out of me and it devalues people and I destroy men and women in my heart I kill I murder Jesus says in my heart when I hate them because I see the world differently than they do and we can all think of our favorite form of media who's role in life is to help us do this better. These are the good guys, these are the bad guys. These are the white hats, these are the black hats. These are the people you should cherish, these are the people you should fear. And it's not the way God sees humanity. So what should we do about it? This is where our cultural moment goes completely off the rails. You're bad, you're broken, it's too late for you. Maybe the message you are hearing is that you were born a white man, so you're just racist, too bad. Maybe the message you're hearing is that uh, you had an abortion and you are unforgivable. God hates you now. Whatever it is you've done, I hope you get what's coming to you. But that's not the message. That's not the message of the gospel, is it? We look at our calling as image bearers of God, and it is obvious that we are failures. But listen to the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. He's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We have screwed up our calling as image bearers, and there is no way for us to repair it. But Jesus comes, and he is the perfect image-bearer. He is the one true perfect human. He is the ultimate representation of God. In every way that we fail at this, he succeeds. And Paul says he's reconciling everything to himself. He's bringing everything back into right relationship. All of the dysfunction that we rot uh, all around the world and even In our own lives, he's fixing, and he's fixing it through the cross, the worst possible wickedness against the image of God in the history of the world. Jesus, the perfect human being, is murdered on the cross, not for his failures, but for ours. See, my brokenness prevents me from being fully human. Truly the image of God that I am supposed to be. And I see that when I often dishonor the image of God and shame the image of God in others. But Jesus, the greatest perfect image of God, being dishonored and shamed through the cross, transforms us transforms us all as Christians into new true human beings again, if we choose to trust him. And sometimes it's a lot slower than we want it to be, isn't it? As human beings, we are greatly privileged to be made in God's image representatives of the King, all valuable and beloved because of that, and our sin has destroyed and marred and broken that image in ways that are unrepairable, but by the grace of God. And that's our hope this morning, that that while we can look around us, while we can look inside us and see, yeah, I'm broken, I messed it up, look at all of the damage that we're doing everywhere we seem to go we have hope in Christ we're going to keep going through this section over the next couple of weeks we're going to be done for the day anybody have any questions so if we we don't have to earn status as image bearers of God if this is who we are by definition What are practices that we can engage in to uh, keep us from straying into uh, maybe misunderstandings of other people and and sinfulness and things like that? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, basically, you know, the conservative versus liberal. Yeah, all the, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. We love them, we hate them. Yeah. So I think the most profound thing there is Jesus is. The image of God, the Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the standard, right? And so, as we draw close to Him by the power of the Holy Spirit inside us, if you're a Christian this morning, you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's doing that work, changing us. So, so it's it sounds so simplistic, but what's your prayer life look like? Are you in the Word? How are you connected to the community of God's people? Are you letting people speak goodness and truth into your life when they see you're out of alignment? Are you taking time from the rat race to get away, to have silence and solitude and rest? We we want some like magical formula that will do these things, but the the practices that are laid out in Scripture for us, to be a part of a community that that sits under the authority of God's Word and and to have a life of of communion with Him through prayer, those are the things in my experience that have made me more Christ-like. And again, like, this is a journey that I'm on, that all of us are on for the rest of our lives, right? But hopefully, you're in a place where you look back and go, like, I... For all of my flaws, for all the things that are broken in me that I hate, I'm a little more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago. I think beyond that, I mean, we we talked about, uh, before we started Genesis, we went, we had a four-week series on on wisdom. We talked about kind of navigating the cultural messages around us. Um, If you weren't there for that, you can get the podcast. Um, I would suggest that as well. I mean, there's, there's ways that we need to learn how to think because the primary ways that the world tells us how to think honor some people as valuable and other people as less valuable. And we need to kind of detox from that from time to time. Yeah, good question. We're going to take communion. Take communion every week. Because it's a reminder of what Paul said, that Jesus is making peace through his blood, the blood of his cross. And there's a lot of war going on, isn't there? We war against God. We war against one another. There's war in our own country over different factions. There's war around the world. And Jesus is reconciling those things to himself. He's making all things new. He's person by person, day by day, slowly bringing the the kingdom of God to being. So I'd encourage you to spend some time this morning as you take communion thinking about ways that maybe you aren't living out your function as someone who's spreading the rule of Yahweh through the earth. What are things that you need to confess to Him? Who are the people that you begin, need to begin to see through the lens of the image of God? Who does the Holy Spirit bring to mind that like, yeah, I don't see them as true people. I see them as a little bit less than. Speak with the Lord about that. Confess that sin and then rest in the fact that while you and I fail at bearing God's image well, Jesus has done it perfectly on your behalf. And as we take the bread representing his body, and we take the cup representing his blood. You are a Christian this morning. The life of his spirit is in you, nourishing you, and transforming you into somebody that looks like Jesus.